And notice we're chapter 25. It's one of the few um, dated passages in the first half of the book. Uh, it's the fourth year of Jehoiakim. So as we review today, you can kind of think, uh, and lots of people, it's speculation, but I think it's reasonable speculation, that chapters 1 through 25 are the, is the scroll, the contents of that scroll that King Jehoiakim burns. Um, and chapters 1 through 25, you notice it, there are not a lot of dated passages in this. These, these are more... Um, general prophecies that summarize a lot of Jeremiah's overall message. And then when we get into the second half of the book, most of the prophecies, not all of them, but most of them you can see are dated, uh, usually being connected to the reign of a specific uh, king of Judah or a specific event like the fall of Jerusalem. So um, my hope for today, or plan, and we'll see if this works, <laughs> Um, is I thought we could survey the first 36 chapters. Um, now, obviously, <laughs> why laughter? Come on. Um, uh, obviously, we can't go into the detail of, of all 36 chapters that we spent <laughs> 36 plus weeks on um, last year. Um, and that's why I've sort of pulled some key verses um, out of pretty much every chapter. We might not get to all of them, but we'll try to hit at least um, every section. So um, Jeremiah uh, is a notoriously hard book to outline. Um, again, it doesn't, as you can see, if you look to the second half, there is no chronology. <laughs> uh, we're going Jehoiakim to Zedekiah, um, uh, back to Jehoiakim, we're in the siege, we're going back 20 years earlier, back to the siege. Um, uh, but I've, I've tried to kind of like, and some of the sections, like the Book of Consolation, chapters 30 to 33, as we saw, those are four chapters that are all um, united by this idea of the restoration. That's where that new covenant um, passage is presented. Um, uh, chapters 11 through 15, or yeah, first part of 15 is all focused on uh, the covenant. So some chapters kind of cohere, and then some other chapters I was just slapping a label on it, <laughs> um, because there's a lot of things uh, contained in there. So that's the plan. So we'll jump in. Let me just read the superscription, just to remind you. Uh, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests, who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Israel in the fifth month. So here he's giving us that sketch of, of his long prophetic ministry. Uh, that starts in the reign of King Josiah and goes through the um, people being taken into captivity, as we'll see uh, in coming weeks. Um, the, after Nebuchadnezzar uh, captures Jerusalem and takes people into captivity, uh, Jeremiah is one of those who's left behind. Um, so he gives us a description of some of the aftermath of that captivity in, in Jerusalem. So um, as we think of verses 1 through 3, that gives us the scope of his ministerial career, but it's also telling us kind of <laughs> where the book is headed, and the book is headed to the captivity of Jerusalem. 
Uh, that's, that's kind of the focal point of the book, which we're, uh, as we'll start back in chapter 37 next week, uh, we are in those last days. Uh, so we're kind of jumping back in uh, right as Jerusalem is about to fall. So after this, this uh, the introduction, uh, then we get into uh, Jeremiah's call. And as we talked about last year, Jeremiah is in many ways the most personal of the prophets. And what I mean by that is he gives us um, his thoughts, his experiences, um, and he gives us here his call. Um, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then again, down verse 9 and 10. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I've set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow to build and to plant. So that those verses there, we see a lot of the, the plucking, the breaking down, the destroying, the overthrowing, but also that Jeremiah is planting the seeds uh, of hope for that coming restoration. Um, the other verse I, I wanted just to remind you of, um, or verses I wanted to remind you of from chapter one are verses 18 through 19. Um, and this is important because, again, Jeremiah gives us what it's like to be a prophet. And what it's like to be a prophet is to have lots of horrible, horrible things happen to you, uh, usually done to you by your own people. So the people you're interceding for are the ones who, um, ironically, are the ones who are attacking you. And we see Jeremiah express fear for his life uh, repeatedly in this book. But from, it's important to remember, from the beginning... God makes this promise in verses 18 and 19. And behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So from the start of Jeremiah's prophetic ministry, he, he knows he's going to um, receive opposition. Um, and notice the totality. It's officials, it's priests, the kings, the people of the land. That, that pretty much covers everybody, right? <laughs> uh, they will fight against you, um, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So, again, it's, it's important that God tells Jeremiah that at that moment. Because we'll see, Jeremiah's going to struggle. Um, he's going to struggle with feeling isolated uh, from his family, isolated from people around him. Um, you know, he's going to be put in stocks. He's going to be thrown in a cistern. He's going to be jailed. His life is going to be repeatedly threatened. Um, but as God says, they shall not prevail against you. So he, he has those comforting words. Um, God is going to protect him throughout his prophetic ministry. So with that call to Jeremiah, then we, we jump in to uh, part one. Um, and again, part one, notice there aren't a lot of dated prophecies. This is kind of, um, so it's not, uh, we, we can kind of think of it as prophecies that aren't in reaction to a specific situation, um, but are presenting the overall message of Jeremiah. So there's a lot of repetition. 
um, in, in these, he keeps coming back to certain themes. Um, the key word uh, in these first 25 chapters is return um, or repent, relent. Uh, it's all the same word that gets variously translated in English. But he wants his people to turn away from their sin and turn toward God. Um, that, if we're trying to come up with, with a phrase to capture the overall message of these first 25 chapters, it is that turn from your sin, turn from the abominable things you're doing, you're worshiping other gods, you turn from your own self-conceit, and turn yourself to, to, to God. Remember his covenant that he made with you. So chapter 2 uh, opens with this opening indictment of sin. Um, and there's, <laughs> it was really hard to pull just a couple of verses um, from this. Um, but uh, you'll notice like verse, verse 5, thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? That's just like, I, I love that. They, they're turning themselves to these gods who are not God. Um, and in turning to the God, they're becoming like the things they're worshiping. So they're worshiping worthless things. They're turning to worthlessness, and they themselves are being made worthless by their idolatry. Um, verses 11 through 13, has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So it's this, uh, that, that great um, visual picture he, he gives there. So if you think, um, you know, in this region, having a water supply is key to life. Um, and they have a fountain of living water, a spring, uh, we might call it. Um, God himself is watering them. And rather than rely on, on the fountain of living waters, they've hewed out cisterns to catch whatever water they can. And they're broken cisterns. So it's a picture of they're rejecting the blessings that come from, from God and being in relationship with it. And instead, they're trusting the works of their own hands, which are... Um, are pitiful in comparison to the provision God did. A fountain of living waters, exchanging that for a broken cistern that can't even hold water. Um, I think that's just a beautiful picture of what he's trying to get across here. Uh, and then verse 35, um, I just picked this one out because again, I, I think it gives us, um, you know, he, he gives lots of descriptions of their outward sinful actions. They're making other gods. They're turning to other nations. Like, but what's at the heart of it is their own self-deceit. Um, uh, uh, so verse 35, um, you say, I'm innocent. Surely his anger has turned for me. Behold, I will bring you to judgment for saying I've not sinned. Um, and that, I think, is a, captures a big part of, of Judah's problem as well as ours. Like you, you have to have this conception of yourself uh, as a sinner. Um, anybody who says, I, I, you know, I, I haven't sinned, uh, deceives themselves, we're told. Um, and we see that self-deception here in chapter two. 
In chapter 3, um, Jeremiah presents a familiar picture um, uh, of uh, the relationship between God and his people, again, using uh, the image of marriage and adultery. Um, and he compares uh, uh, Judah to its sister Israel. Have you seen what she did, that faithless one Israel, how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and there played the whore. And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me, but she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in, but in pretense, declares the Lord. Uh, and the Lord said to me, faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Um, that's a picture we saw uh, in our, our sermon last week in Ezekiel, uses the same idea, comparing uh, the, the kingdom of Judah, comparing what's happening in Jerusalem with what had happened in that northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, for her adultery, um, was taken into captivity uh, and destroyed. And, um, and yet Judah is doing far, far, far worse. Um, but you also notice we, we get that promise here um, in verse 12, return faithless Israel, declares the Lord, I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you've multiplied and increased in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of God and all the nations shall gather to it to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall join the house of Israel, and together they shall come from the land of the north to the land that I gave your fathers for a heritage. So here is a, a beautiful picture. Again, Jeremiah sprinkles these <laughs> through the book. So there's a lot of condemnation of sin. We saw that with the opening indictment. We saw this um, portrayed in that picture of Judah being an adulterous wife, and yet God is faithful. Uh, they've, uh, they've turned after other gods, but God pursues them, uh, telling them to return, calling them to acknowledge their sins, uh, and giving this promise of a day where all these things they trust, and notice he's planting these seeds. Where are they putting their trust? Well, nothing's going to happen to us. Because we have the ark, like you know, the ark is our talisman. There, it's going to protect our city. Why did the northern kingdom get dragged off? They didn't have the ark, they didn't have the temple, they didn't have the holy city. All these things they're putting 
trust in the gifts that God has given them, and they've forgotten the giver. Um, and he's saying, yeah, one day you won't have the ark, and you won't want it. <laughs> um, you, you won't even think about it. I'm going to give you something far, far better. Uh he continues on in chapter 4, If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you, renew, if you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, in righteousness, then nations that shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. Uh, for... Thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. And then the rest of the chapter goes on to this describing uh, this disaster from the north, um, how how. The kingdom of Babylon is going to come through and sweep through the land, bringing destruction in its wake. Um, and he's calling them uh, to, to, to repentance again. Um, uh, but we get in chapter 5, um, if you have an ESV, you'll notice that this chapter is titled, Jerusalem Refused to Repent. <laughs> um, so we, chapters 3, chapters 4, we have this call to repentance um, but instead, uh, Jeremiah chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 3, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search your squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth, that I might pardon her. Though they say, as the Lord lives, they, yet they swear falsely. O oh Lord, do not your eyes look for truth. You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refuse to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. And then he goes on to describe it's the poor, it's the rich. There's, it's not a class division that some are faithful, some aren't. It's a totality from the leaders down to uh, the lowest, um, they have all um, trusted a lie, and they've spoken falsely of the Lord. Verse 12, they've spoken falsely of the Lord and said, He will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword of famine. Um, so it's this, like, so we get this opening salvo of Jeremiah's warning to the people, and their response is, never happened. <laughs> God won't do this to us. We're his people. We're circumcised. Uh, you know, uh, we have the sign of the covenant. Like, so, uh, but they're not looking at the curses of that covenant. Instead, they're trusting in these false prophets. And the false prophecy uh, so much in the book of Jeremiah is um, it's a message of hope uh, that is apart from repentance. So it's like, no, God will bless you, and there's no need for you to put away those idols. There's no need for you to repent. There's no need to change your lives. It's an easy uh, believism, we might say. Like, it's this, uh, they're preaching this hunky-dory, everything's going to be great, zippity-doo-dah, <laughs> and it's not great. And they're doing that even when, 
uh, as we'll see when we get back into the book. They're still doing that, and they're surrounded by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, and they're still like, oh no, God's going to strike Nebuchadnezzar down. He did it before with the Assyrians. We have nothing to worry about. Um, so uh, from the beginning of the book to the end, we have this message of uh, prophets preaching a false hope, a, um, that they'll receive the blessings of God without doing the obligations of the covenant. What instead is going to happen, as Jeremiah's over and over again, they're violating the covenant law of God, and therefore they're incurring on themselves the curses of the covenant. So they shouldn't expect blessing. All they should expect are curses. Uh, chapter 6 is focused on, uh, again, it turns again to a, a graphic description of the, um, what he's going to do. Uh, that war is going to be brought against his city. Be warned, O Jerusalem, uh, lest I make you a desolation and an uninhabited land. Uh, and, but again, the problem is, to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised, they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Um, so it's, you know, that, that wearisomeness, again, is part of Jeremiah's frustration um, that he is over and over again going to proclaim a message to these people and over and over again, they're refusing to hear. So that brings us kind of to the end of the first section. Any comments on that before we go to the next one? Yeah, we're never going to make it, but <laughs> we'll try. Yeah, Greg. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I, you know, we, we, I think we all were struck by how contemporary um, Jeremiah's words are. Because, and why they sound contemporary? Because you're absolutely right, Greg. Because people's hearts haven't changed. Um, and we still, uh, we still are willing to listen to things that are our lies because we like what they sound. Um, we, we really don't want to have our um, sins uh, critiqued or examined. We don't want to turn away from anything, especially because in Jeremiah's day, uh, as I think in our own, like, we don't want to be singled out as different. Like, you know, it's that go along to get along. Well, everybody has an altar in their house, so I'm going to look weird if I don't put an altar up in mind. Everybody's gathering at the tree on the hill this Saturday, and, you know, so there's that, um, you know, to, to pursue a righteous life uh, in the midst of people who are rejecting that righteousness is hard, and, and we see that as Jeremiah lives it. Like, and that's, as, as we get more into the book, we see him singled out over and over again. All right, so the next section, um, he turns to a description of false religions. So in, in these chapters, um, chapters 7 through 10, he's really focused on 
all the, the kind of idolatry that is happening. The word of the Lord, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal? Murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations. Like, and I, I, that passage there, I think, again, captures their outwardly religious. Like, they're going to the temple uh, they're singing the praises of the temple, and he's listing all the abominations that they're doing to each other, um, you know, kind of sins horizontally, um, but to God, turning to these idols, turning to Baal worship. As the chapter goes on, he talks about how they even slaughter their own children um, in their worship of these false gods. So you have a people who think, we're fine. We're good, and yet they're doing all these abominable, hateful things uh, um, in God's presence, and he's judging them for it. Um, the, it's sin against each other. It's sin against them. Um, oh, oh, that my, chapter 9, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. So, you know, he's, he's you know, crying uh, for them, crying out for them, and they are refusing over and over and over again. They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land. They proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. Let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother, for every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor. No one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity, heaping oppression upon oppression, deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. So again, um, much like Greg was saying, like this diagnosis of of their, their heart problem. Um, they're multiplying, um, uh, multiplying iniquity in the land they're in their treatment of others. They're multiplying idols in the land. Um, uh, chapter 10, learn not the ways of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of heaven, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are vanity, 
A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. I, that line, I had to get that line in there. I, you know, I love that line. Uh, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great and might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations, for this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and all the kingdoms, there is none like you. They are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Um, uh, but, verse 10, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earthquakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. So in this chapter, or in this section, he, he goes through those sins of the people, um, condemning their false uh, religion, their false religious comfort, um, uh, how they're um, worshiping God, but it's only a pretense of worship, it's not true worship. Um, and instead, they're turning to all these things that, uh, in that picture he gives there, are are worthless. They, they can't do anything to help them. And yet they're, as Jeremiah describes it, they're putting an altar on every street corner, uh, an idol in every home. They, they multiplied idols uh, to beyond counting. So after this section, uh, the next section's held together by this idea of the covenant that's been broken. Um, and when we discussed this chapter last year, uh, we talked a lot about, so during the reign of King Josiah, you'll remember uh, from Kings, there's this moment the book of the law is rediscovered. Um, and Josiah, when he hears it, tears his robes because nobody's been doing this. Um, and Deuteronomy is usually thought to be that book of the law that, that is discovered um, in the temple. And you see Deuteronomy uh, throughout the book of Jeremiah. Again and again, he's going back to the book of the law um, he's, he's applying those words. Uh, and starting in chapter 11, um, the covenant, it becomes, uh, uh, he puts the covenant in the foreground. Here, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord of God, the God of Israel, curse be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, listen to my voice and do all that I command you. So you shall be my people and I will be your God, that I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as at this day. Then I answered, so be it, Lord. And so Jeremiah goes and proclaims in the streets, hear the words of this covenant. Um, and uh, instead of receiving those blessings that God promises in Deuteronomy, um, again, you know, like Deuteronomy, they're right on the cusp of going into the land, and God is telling them before they cross the Jordan, if you do these things, you're going to live long, and you're going to prosper, and you're going to be blessed in this land. But if you get in there and you forget me uh, and turn to idols, then the curses of this covenant will come to pass. And um, in this section, he, he goes through these descriptions of 
um, the, the people uh, violating the covenant of, of God um, and incurring upon themselves uh, the decreed disaster is the, the phrase that Jeremiah uses. Um, in this section, we also, we, we won't dig into them, but we start getting interspersed uh, some of those complaints of Jeremiah. Um, at the end of chapter 11, for example, um, uh, God says, uh, you know, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life and say, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord or you will die by our hand. Um, we start to see those glimpses of the opposition that Jeremiah um, uh, uh, encounters the, here, people of his own town telling him, if you keep prophesying these things, we will kill you. Um, and that is, again, not the, it's the first threat we see uh, in the book of Jeremiah. It by no means is the last time his, his life is threatened. And, and God says, it's not because of you. <laughs> and this is his message, comfort to Jeremiah over and over again. It's because they don't want to hear me. You're, you know, they don't want to listen to me. Um, and so they don't want you to preach and proclaim. Um, so we, we start getting uh, these, these complaints of Jeremiah um, and condemnation of, of Judah for, for all the things that they're doing. And God's bringing covenant punishment along the way, like to warn them in chapter 14. Uh, he, he talks about this drought, um, the word of the Lord that came to me to came to Jeremiah concerning the drought. Judah mourns and her gates languish. Her people lament on the ground, and the cry of Jerusalem goes up. Um, and this description of searching for water and vegetation. Though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. O oh, hope of Israel, its savior in the time of trouble, why should you be like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Thus says the Lord concerning this people, they have loved to wander thus. They have not restrained their feet, therefore the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. Uh, chapter 15 um, Those Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn to this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. Um, so, you know, God is describing how he's come to this, this moment where he is going to bring the full punishments of the covenant curses upon them. Um, and, and again, sending Jeremiah out and letting Jeremiah know, look, you're doing a great job. <laughs> Moses, if Moses was here, he couldn't do any better. <laughs> they wouldn't listen to him either. Uh, it's them, not you. Um, uh, so after uh, about midway through chapter 15, um, we start getting more of uh, Jeremiah's inner uh, um, struggles. And you, the ESV often uh, illustrates these by titling them Jeremiah's Complaint. <laughs> Uh, you'll see that title uh, multiple times. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's Jeremiah's complaint, but also how his own life is, is being crafted as a prophetic message to this people. 
chapter 16. You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in this place, and concerning the mothers who bore them and the fathers who fathered them in this land, they shall die of deadly diseases. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried. So don't take a wife, because having a family at this moment in time is, is horrible. Um, don't enter the house of mourning, verse 5 of chapter 16, or, or go to lament or grieve. Um, why? Because there's going to be a moment where there's not going to be any funerals because there's not going to be anybody left to bury people. Um, so you know, by taking these dramatic actions in his life, these symbolic actions, Jeremiah is living out the warning of God. And all this would be very unusual. <laughs> not taking a wife, not going to funerals, uh, not going, you, verse uh, 8, you shall not go into the house of feasting to sit with them to eat and drink. So you know, not going to wedding celebrations, parties. Um, why? Because a time is coming where there will be no feasting. <laughs> um, there, like, there, there will be no celebrating. This, so he's living out that message of warning. Um, uh, and why? Because again, in verse 17, we go again into this description of uh, the sin of the people. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Um, so, you know, you have this description of the sins of Judah. Uh, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with the point of diadem. It's engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of the altars, while the ch their children remembers Remember their altars and their ashram beside every green tree and on the high hills, on the mountains and the open country. Um, so this is, uh, again, a picture like they're, in Deuteronomy, they're instructed, teach these things to your children. You know, make the words of this covenant, make the words of God, have them on your lips all the day, bind them on your foreheads. Uh, but what are they teaching their children instead? Their children are remembering the altars and their ashrams. So instead of instructing the children um, in the, the worship and adoration of the true God, they're instructing them in idolatry. Um, which again, it's, it's not just a, one generation's turned away. One generation's turned away and they, they taught their children and their children's children. Um, so rather than doing the things that God has commanded uh, for them to remember, uh, they've instead... Um, uh, you know, uh, taught their children idolatry. Um, we also get uh, various symbolic actions um, in these chapters. So chapter 18, he goes to the potter's house <laughs> um, and he, he uses what the potter is doing to illustrate uh, God's work. So if a potter can, can um, refashion something, so, so can God. <laughs> but once it's hardened, uh, the potter can't fix it anymore. It's only good to be smashed, and, and that's the point. Um, the nation of Judah. Um, and again, we get the, the plots of the people, verse 18 of chapter 18. They said, come, let us make plots against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priests, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Let 
Come, let us strike him with the tongue. Let us not pay any attention to any of his words. Um, chapter 19, we get another dramatic uh, symbolic action. Um, he, he takes a potter's earthenware flask. Uh, verse 10, then you shall break the flask in the sight of men who go with you and shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, so will I break this people and the city as one who breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never be mended. So again, taking this uh, a visible preaching of the sermon, uh, a visible symbol of what God is, is going to do. And the response is, again, more persecution. Uh, chapter 20 starts, Now Pasher the priest, the son of Emmer, who was a chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pasher beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. So uh, Jeremiah is being faithful to do the very things that God has commanded him to do. Uh, he's proclaimed and preached this sermon, and the response he gets is a beating, uh, the public humiliation of being put in the stocks. Um, so it's not just the people of his hometown. Um, it's the very religious leadership uh, here represented by Pasher, the priest. So starting in chapter 21, we start shifting to denunciations of the kings and prophets. Um, uh, chapter 21 is the first mention, uh, or Josiah is mentioned briefly in chapter 3, Days of Josiah, but you notice no other king is specifically mentioned until we get down to chapter 21, where we get King Zedekiah. And um, this, these chapters here, um, are messages addressed to the kings. So he starts with Zedekiah, um, but then he kind of pulls back at the end of chapter 21. It's a message to the whole house of David. Execute justice in the morning. Deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. Lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of your evil deeds. Then we get in chapter 22, you get specific uh, messages to each of these kings. Uh, um, you get uh, um, Shalom, uh, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Um, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him wages. So here it's a picture of Jehoiakim um, who is building himself a fabulous house, lavishing it with with things he's basically, the labor and things he's stolen from other people. So the picture he's presenting of the kings are um, these, uh, yeah, uh, they're self-seeking, they're full of injustice, they're full of idolatry, um, and he, he goes through each one and, and sort of says each one is, is worse than the last. Um, which sets us up for chapter 23, uh, which is the promise uh, chapter 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So in the midst of these descriptions of the horrible acts and characters of Judah's kings, 
um, he turns to this uh, beautiful picture of the coming king, the king that the people really need, uh, a king who uh, is known as the Lord is our righteousness, uh, the king who executes justice and righteousness in a land, who doesn't multiply oppression, um, but brings peace and security. So after a description of kings, he then turns his attention to uh, lying prophets, um, all these prophets, uh, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they wouldn't have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. So this assessment of the, these prophets is they're presenting a message that's actually bringing destruction um, rather than if they were true prophets, they would turn people away from their sin, and toward God. Um, uh, we have the, this illustration of the good figs and the bad figs. Um, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I've sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. So what here is a specific situation. Um, you had this, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes, and he takes kind of the cream of the crop of Jerusalem, away into captivity, leaves the rest there. So the people left are like, God must love us because we're left behind. <laughs> it's like, and, and Jeremiah's saying here, and God's saying through Jeremiah, no, actually, uh, I'm going to bless them. You're the bad figs. They're the good figs. Um, and then the first um, uh, section of the book ends with this specific proclamation that Judah will have 70 years of captivity, um, and that the cup of God's wrath was going to be poured out upon them. Um, and again, this is presented in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, um, which when we get to chapter 36 in just a minute, and you see uh, Jehoiakim burning, taking Jeremiah's scroll and just cutting off the page as it's read and throwing it into the fire. Um, this is probably what he is, is burning. Um, so that's the first half. The second half, again, is different. Lots of prophecies um, concerning specific, um, uh, in the reigns of specific kings, and it starts off um, with what's uh, usually labeled the temple sermon um, because of the setting. Uh, Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command you to speak to them, do not hold back a word. And so, Jeremiah does this um, in verse 10 of chapter 26. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord, took their seat at the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, this man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your own ears. So Jeremiah preaches a message of, of, again, this message of repentance, the coming judgment, and the response of the religious leaders is to have him killed. Um, and he's spared because uh, certain elders of the land arose and spoke to all the assembled people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. 
Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against him? But what? But we are about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. So there you have some people uh, who have heard um, Jeremiah's words and have taken actions to make sure he's not put to death. Uh, chapters 27, chapters 28, the, the kind of theme of this chapter is another one of Jeremiah's symbolic actions. Uh, this time he's walking around the city with an uh, oxen yoke on his shoulders. <laughs> um, yeah, a little unusual. <laughs> People are going to stop and ask them. And when they do stop and ask, he says, this is the yoke of King Nebuchadnezzar that uh, God is going to place on the people. Um, the response here is uh, an, another uh, a prophet, a false prophet, uh, breaks the yoke and says, see, God is going to deliver us from, from Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and, and he, you know, God, uh, then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, thus sa says the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. So it's, it's not just Jeremiah's, people aren't listening to him. He, he has these rival false prophets who, again, are prophesying this false message of hope. Uh, Jeremiah is saying captivity is going to be long, <laughs> 70 years. And they're like, no, those exiles who got taken away, they're going to be back in two years. It's all going to be good. Um, Jeremiah chapter 29 writes to those exiles, tells them, build houses, raise a family. You're going to be in Babylon for a long time. <laughs> uh, might as well get comfortable there. Uh, you're not coming back. Um, you know, support the state where you're in, uh, kind of a, a radical thing um, that he says, pray for the place where you are. Um, God will... God has a future for you, but you're going to be in Babylon for a long time. Get comfortable. Uh, the exiles write back and like, what is this? <laughs> Who is this guy? How are you letting him uh, preach? Uh, you know, he has sent us to Babylon saying your exile will be long. Build houses and live them. Plant gardens and their produce. Um, and so again, he's threatened because he's not just preaching these words uh, in Jerusalem, but he's writing to those exiles in, in Babylon. So it like seems super bleak at this moment. Judgment's coming. We've already had the, the captivity uh, being announced. And so we're maybe taken aback by chapters 30 through 33, um, which uh, is full of all these beautiful promises. Uh, it shall come to that day declares the Lord of hosts that I will break the yoke off your neck. I will burst your bonds and foreigners shall no longer make a servant of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up uh, for them. Uh, verse 11 of chapter 30. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of the nations among whom I scattered, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just me measure and I will by no means leave you unpunished. So he says, I'm going to punish you, but I'm doing it for your good, and I'm going to restore you to the land. Um, and 
I'm going to turn mourning into joy in chapter 31. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When the Lord sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. So their hope that uh, Jeremiah is unfolding in these chapters is that God will act for them. Um, he will, uh, he, even though they've sinned, he's going to do something about that sin. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more, he tells us in verse 34 of chapter 31. Um, we get another uh, symbolic action, and in this case, uh, he goes and buys a field. <laughs> he, he buys a field, uh, God tells him to buy a field that is currently occupied by the Babylonian army. Uh, I described this last year as, as asking Jay if he wanted to invest in property and the eastern Ukraine right now. <laughs> it's that kind of, it's, so it's, he's, he's basically going and purchasing a field in the middle of a war zone with an enemy army encamped on it. Why? Because this is one of his symbolic actions that is prompt because there will be a day again when people will have land and farm it and pass it on to their heirs. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, invest now. Like, yeah, God, God gets them a little uh, investment in the northern uh, Judean uh, real estate market. Um, and then chapter 33, uh, we, we again get this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I, make in the, I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. So again, a repetition of that promise uh, we saw earlier. Um, as we wrap up, <laughs> a little over time, not too much, we're one minute over. Um, we have, again, these encounters between um, Jeremiah and the kings. Um, so it starts off with um, Zedekiah, um, you know, um, and Zedekiah is kind of looking for a word of hope from, from Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's like not having it. <laughs> uh, you shall die for the, by the sword, um, <laughs> is what he's telling him. Um, and then he gives the example of the Rechabites, uh, these people who are faithful to this promise that they're... Um, their ancestor had made that he would never drink wine. Jeremiah publicly invites them to dinner to serve them wine, and they're like, no, we're going to be faithful to our ancestor's oath. And he uses that as a living example of, look, they're, they're being faithful to a human oath. You're violating a divine covenant. And then he steps back. So if you kind of follow chapters um, 35 um, up through chapter 39, which is when the fall of Jerusalem is going to take place. Um, most of the focus is going to be on um, Zedekiah, because Zedekiah is the, the last king of Judah. He's the one who, who's reigning when the siege comes, when the fall of Jerusalem comes. But chapter 36, he steps back in time. Um, so again, he's, he, he does, he's not giving us a chronological story but um, he's taking us back to this fourth year of Jehoiakim. 
um, and chapter 36. And I think why, uh, as we think about why, um, one of the reasons I think, why go back to this moment of this earlier king, interrupt the story of Zedekiah, because Jokaiakim's actions, I think, show um, the real problem of the kings. So in chapter 36, uh, Jeremiah, who's um, banned at this point, <laughs> uh, he can't speak to the king, so he sends Baruch, uh, and he write, Baruch writes all the words of Jeremiah on a scroll, um, and he goes and proclaims it um, on a day of feasting and hearing of all the people in the Lord's house. Um, the king hears about it. Uh, they bring the, the scroll to him. Um, so they went into the court to the king, having put the scroll in the chamber of Elishama, the secretary, and they reported all the words to the king. Um, and then, uh, verse 22, as the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter house, and there was a fire burning in the pot before him. And as Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. So as we think about, all right, what is wrong with the kings of Judah? He gives us a picture. Not only do they refuse to listen to what God has instructed them, here you have a king consuming the words of God to the fire. And, and that was the last image uh, that uh, we encountered um, last year. <laughs> so that was 36 chapters in slightly less than an hour. <laughs> um, but any questions? So just to like get you geared up. So next week, when we jump into chapter 37, we're going to be back in the days of Zedekiah, and we're going to be right at the moment of the, you know, chapter 37 is the beginning of the end, um, or the, the, yeah, the end end. <laughs> um, it's, it's what's happening in the last days of Jerusalem and Judah is what we're going to turn to. But he set us up for those last days by the acts of this prior king burning the scroll. Yeah, Dave, you had your hand. that the people are rejecting God's message. Like, and, and, and again, it's why he's the most personal of the prophets. He lets us know, like, he's saying these words of God to the people because he loves the people and he wants them to hear the words of God. And so when the people reject those words and therefore reject God's prophet, it hurts them. Like, you know, it's, you know, and it starts with his family, like, in Anathoth, like, the very people, like, he, he knows the best, the people he grew up with, um, you know, small town life, everybody knows everybody. They're the first ones we hear who, like, Jeremiah, stop. We, we don't want to hear it. We don't want any more of your prophecy. And it goes from there. And each time it hurts. And Jeremiah lets us know it hurts. Like, again, that's why he complains. Um, 
he, he complains and sometimes, uh, as we saw uh, last year, takes his complaint a little too far, accusing God of deceiving him. Um, but God always reminds him, look, I created you for this purpose, to go back to chapter 1. I put my words in your mouth. Like, I, I, this, I've called you to this, and I'm with you. They're, they might all be against you, but I'm going to be that, that, that iron tower. I'm going to be that wall of bronze. Uh, they can throw you in a cistern, as we'll see in coming chapters, but they can't. Your life is mine. Um, I will protect you. All right, well, we need to, to close. Um, but next week, we'll pick up in our narrative in chapter 37, and we'll start chapter by chapter as is our normal practice. So, But hopefully that gives you a review and gets you excited about getting back into the book of Jeremiah. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you for the words of your prophet. Um, help us to be ones who treasure your word, uh, who don't um, treat it lightly, uh, give us ears to hear um, the, that word, even as we'll hear it uh, proclaimed uh, in the coming hour. Uh, give us um, uh, a response to that visible word that you'll present to us uh, in the table um, as we see uh, your body broken and your blood poured out for us. Um, help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. Um, may your Holy Spirit be working uh, righteousness uh, in us, uh, helping us to repent uh, constantly of our sin and our sinfulness, but help us to listen to your word, uh, to obey it, uh, and most of all, to trust in Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.